0: chapter 11 of the spider by fergus hume this LibriVox recording is in the public domain recording by don w jenkins chapter 11 the needle in the haystack it was big news which went more than at first sight appeared since the implication was of depths below depths and veils behind veils to be quite plain the unexpected flight of the fortune-teller for it was nothing else hinted at the truth of towton's suspicions had there been nothing but the mere assault diabella could have faced that and could have even counted upon the colonel doing nothing since an unbiased witness was lacking the flight was not caused by the incident which had taken place in the bond street rooms but by the fear that something dangerous might peep out from behind it and what could this something be on the grounds of diabella's story and the hindus attempted strangling but a dread lest the spider should be traced i am perfectly certain that you are right towton said vernon sitting sideways on the table and swinging his legs "'Only the fear of her connection with that blackmailing scoundrel being traced "'could have scared her into disappearance.' "'She has really gone?' "'Really and truly. "'Remember, she had three days to make herself scarce, "'but so afraid was she lest you should take action "'that she decamped on the morning of the second day.' "'How decamped?' questioned Towton, laying down his pen. "'She sent the Hindu to surrender the lease.' badaher his name is the native who tried to choke me no the doorkeeper i was precise to ask if he was lean or stout the lean one came to surrender the lease and his name is badaher well that's something worth knowing but how did you get your informant to talk and how did you find any person in authority to explain matters that was easy vernon slipped off the table and into a chair I called on the plea of wanting my fortune told by Diabella. Instead of her, opening the door, a neat little maid-servant made her appearance, and informed me that Diabella had retired from the business, which had been taken over by a certain American prophetess. I asked to see the lady, and I did. "'You don't think she was Diabella unmasked?' "'Not from your description. You told me Diabella was tall.' This woman was short, and the voice, instead of being metallic as you described it, was rather musical, although disfigured by a Yankee twang. This new sorceress, from New York City, as she told me she was, could never have spoken English without the twang. It might have been assumed. Not it. I can tell the true from the false, said Vernon emphatically. Mrs. Hiram G. Slocum is a genuine American, sure enough besides, her ideas of surroundings and those of Diabella differ. The last desired weird decoration and furniture, a mask, an Egyptian dress, Oriental attendants, and so forth. Mrs. Slocum's idea is that people should not be frightened, but should have their future told in a motherly old-fashioned way amidst rural fireside granny scenery. She intends, so she told me, to transform the Egyptian rooms into the semblance of a rustic cottage interior, with a cat and a humming tea-kettle, rafters with strings of onions, and flower-pots on the ledges of Bond Street windows turned into casements. "'It's rather a clever dodge,' reflected Vernon. "'As people will be at their ease directly, and so will talk freely and listen comfortably.' "'And Mrs. Hiram G. Slocum herself?' "'A motherly old thing in a mob cap and a stuffed dress and a voluminous apron and a woolen shawl over her shoulders. I dare say she has dressed for the old cottage interior part, for she was seated in a wooden chair which didn't fit in with the Memphis decorations, and knitted a homely stocking.' "'What did she tell you about, Diabella?' "'Very little, because she knew very little.' do you believe that asked the highly suspicious colonel vernon shrugged his shoulders everyone tells such lies nowadays that i never believe anyone but mrs slocum seemed to be genuine enough however i'll soon prove that as i intend to have her watched by a man upon whom i can depend i shall learn in that way if she has business relations with our masked friend what did she tell you asked towton again Well. It seemed that she heard about Diabella wishing to retire from business and went to see her. Diabella denied that the rumour was true, but promised Mrs. Slocum the first refusal of the rooms and goodwill. Though how one can transfer fortune-telling clients beats me. However, Mrs. Slocum retired and left her address somewhere in Pimlico, where she was wasting her talents on maid-servants and suburban people. Diabella sent Bajador to her there and the lease was duly transferred for a sum of money i believe bahador took mrs slocum to the city and interviewed the landlord's lawyer however it was all done fair and square but diabella must have signed the consent to the transfer so she did under the name of isabella hopkins which may or may not be her real name at all events she took the rooms as miss hopkins and signed that name on the transfer mrs slocum never saw her at least without the mask she was as you saw her when mrs slocum called at the rooms and didn't show in the lawyer's office but the lawyer must have seen her well he did and i went to see him he's a stiff old buckram creature who declined to impart anything about miss isabella hopkins as he wanted to know why i wished to know and of course on the face of it you can see towton that i couldn't gratify his very natural curiosity. "'But why not, if we are to catch Diabella?' "'We haven't got enough grounds to go upon,' said Vernon, shaking his head. "'I think it is best to let her fancy we don't suspect anything, and then we may be able to capture her unawares. She's connected with the spider, if not that gentleman himself, I am sure, and your visit and behaviour which led to the strangling attempt had given her a fright.' But if we keep silent, her suspicions will be lulled, and she may reappear. Surely not. Oh, I think so. Fortune-telling is an invaluable way of learning secrets, and Diabella must be very useful to the spider, or to herself, if she is him. She won't surrender her position without a struggle. It's too paying all around, my dear fellow. But she did surrender it only because she lost her head for the moment and thought you might bring the police on the scene for the assault that would lead to unpleasant questions being asked which might result in heaven knows what revelations fortune-tellers are not in good odour since the campaign of a certain halfpenny paper against them the colonel leaned back in his chair reflecting while vernon rose to walk up and down the room for the purpose of stretching his long legs He lighted a cigar and went on talking lightly. You never saw such a heap of clever dodges as this Diabella has to impress the weak-minded. Those mummies, they're all faked, by the way, have reeds inside them leading to their mouths, and Diabella, by pressing on the arms of her state chair, could send a stream of wind along to make them squall. And they did squall, said Towton musingly i never heard such a devilish row in my life what else oh some arrangement by which when the room was darkened the interior of the painted walls were illuminated to reveal the egyptian figures as walking and sitting skeletons then there's an apparatus to make thunder and flashlights for lightning to say nothing of ingeniously arranged draughts calculated to make any one's hair rise in the necessary darkness when he or she felt a cold breath fanning him or her. I wonder Diabella didn't send her clients stark, staring mad. "'It sounds like a fraudulent, spiritualistic medium, Vernon, and only confirms my suspicions that Diabella was not a genuine occultist.' But "'Do you really believe anyone has such powers?' asked Vernon, curiously. "'I really do,' said the Colonel promptly. "'Strange as it may appear.' in india i have seen too much of the unseen to doubt there are certainly gifted people who can see and who can control forces of which the average person knows nothing oh yes i believe and but what's the use of talking i can never make you believe and i don't want to vernon shrugged his shoulders again and buttoned up his coat as you say it doesn't matter he answered however diabella has vanished with her two satellites "'so there's nothing more to be done at present.' "'You give up the hunt?' "'I said at present. "'No, I shall lie quiet until Diabella reappears.' "'She won't if she's wise.' "'She will if she's daring, and I shrewdly suspect that she is.' "'Do you believe her to be the spider?' "'I do, and I don't. "'I really can't say. "'But if not the rose, she is near the rose.' all i can assert with safety colonel is that if we can lay hands on this witch in grain we'll learn who murdered poor dimsdale god grant that amen to that pious prayer was vernon's reply as he left the room towton duly finished his letter of inquiry to venery of singapore and having posted it went cheerfully about his usual business of pleasure that is as cheerfully as a man in love well could do AT THE COLONEL'S AGE LOVE WAS RATHER A SERIOUS MATTER, SINCE HE HAD TAKEN THE DISEASE BADLY, AS IS INVARIABLY THE CASE WITH MIDDLE-AGED MEN. SOME INDIVIDUALS CONSTANTLY LET THEIR EMOTIONS TRICKLE OUT TO EXPEND THEMSELVES IN TRIFLING LOVE-AFFAIRS, AMUSING FOR THE MOMENT. OTHERS DAM UP THE PASSIONS FOR YEARS UNTIL THEY BURST THROUGH THE BARRIER TO SWEEP EVERYTHING BEFORE THEM irresistibly colonel towton was one of the latter but not being entirely blinded by his late-born infatuation he did not deem Ida to perfection as a hot-headed youth would have done and he foresaw that as mrs towton she would need guidance and firm control hitherto for want of both she had run wild but the materials were there out of which as towton put it to himself he could build a model wife that she was frivolous rather than strong-minded was a point in her favour, as the colonel desired to mould wax rather than to hammer iron. So if Ida only consented to marry him he hoped for a calm and contented domestic existence, undisturbed by aggressive romance. And with his home-loving self-controlled nature, Towton infinitely preferred the outlook from an unemotional point of view. As to the money... He cared little for the possible loss of that, although he could not deny but what Ida's yearly thousands would have come at the right moment to effect improvements on the Bowderstike estate. Towton was too prosaic and level-headed to despise the power of the purse, but on the other hand he was not at all grasping and was quite satisfied to marry a girl with no dowry but her beauty and sweet nature. All the same, he intended to inform himself fully of the truth by inquiring as he had done from the man Diabella had mentioned as her authority, the Colonel had no notion of letting Ida's money benefit Lady Corsoon if he could help it. Of course, if it was proved to be legally hers, he would be the first to see that she had her rights. On the other hand, should Ida turn out to be Dimsdale's daughter, Towton made up his mind that the ten thousand a year would be joyfully used for the improvement of his family property. With these thoughts to employ his mind he waited very patiently in London, considering that he was a man of actions rather than a dreamer of dreams. Later on, when Vernon had coaxed Diabella from her hiding-place, Towton intended to travel to Bowderstyke to see his beloved. He had every belief that during his absence Vernon could manage the affair which interested them both so greatly. For the next few days the colonel saw nothing of Vernon but while in the tablinum of the athenian club he unexpectedly came face to face with mr maunders the scamp looked singularly handsome and was dressed carefully as usual but the sight of a snake would have been more pleasing to the worthy colonel he did not like maunders and moreover resented him as a somewhat dishonourable rival for no one could respect a man who pointedly wooed two women at one and the same time towton therefore nodded coolly and crossed to the central table to pick up a service magazine as he did so maunders sauntered to his side and slipped into a chair near to that one which the colonel had taken have you had any news of miss dimsdale asked maunders amiably no retorted towton opening his magazine as a hint that he wished to be left alone she is still in yorkshire with miss hest persisted so i understand was the stiff reply i believe she will remain there for one month possibly she will maunders was not discouraged have you any message for her he asked why do you ask demanded the colonel sitting up abruptly because francis hest you know the brother of mrs dimsdale's friend has asked me down to gerby hall i'm going there at the end of the week for a few days I thought you might have a message for miss dimsdale there is such a thing as the post said towton exasperated by the young man's cool assurance he took up the magazine again then hesitated and threw it on the table adverse as the colonel was to discuss his private affairs with anyone, and least of all with maunders whom he so frankly hated he felt that he ought to take advantage of this chance to learn exactly what was Maunders' attitude towards ida am i to understand that you are engaged to miss dimsdale he asked sharply why should you think that asked constantine negligently why indeed considering that one day you profess to be paying your attentions to miss corsoon and the next pay your addresses to miss dimsdale but as you are going down to gerby hall it looks as though you inclined to marry the latter young lady no said maunders indolently and looking at towton through half-closed eyelids i am going to see francis hest who is a friend of mine but i dare say miss hest and miss dimsdale find it dull so i may be able to amuse them a trifle i am quite sure of that said towton sarcastically your social qualifications are well known but i ask you if you are engaged to miss dimsdale no i am not nor am i likely to be This was good news, but Towton could not be sure if Maunders was speaking honestly. "'Then you intend to marry Miss Corsoon?' said the Colonel. "'I do, but I don't see why you should trouble yourself about my private affairs,' said Maunders, insolently cool. "'It was not I who sought this interview, but as you choose to speak to me I have every right to mention a subject which concerns us both.' "'And concerns Vernon also.' precisely said towton with great emphasis it is useless to disguise the fact mr maunders that we are rivals and-pardon me no interrupted the young man quickly i have been refused by miss dimsdale so the field is open to you ida refused you muttered the colonel stupefied strange is it not replied maunders lightly but such is the case i asked her to marry me and she hinted at a previous attachment i presume she meant towton threw up his hand and colored through his bronze skin we will not mention names if you please i don't mind but you know how the land lies so far as i am concerned that is but you will have to reckon with francis hest miss hest's brother the same francis and francis twins with twin names you may say she is devoted to this more than her brother and wishes him to marry money do you mean to say that miss hest has taken miss dimsdale down to gerby hall so that she may meet mr hest yes he's not a bad-looking fellow exactly like his sister who is handsome in an imperial way as you have seen in fact if you see francis you have seen francis the brother isn't very well off as he has spent all his available cash in philanthropic works and constructing some confounded dam to supply water to several villages has nearly ruined him but miss dimsdale's money will therefore come in very acceptably but i fear hest will waste it in helping the poor he is ridiculously crazy about doing what he calls good it's ridiculous muttered the colonel crossly miss dimsdale doesn't know this man hest francis will see to that Now that Miss Dimsdale is at the hall, she will have every opportunity of seeing him. Miss Hest will throw them together on every occasion. Upon my word, Maunders rose and stretched himself. Were I you, Colonel, I should go down to Gerby Hall and look after matters. Thanks for your advice, said Totten, picking up the magazine again. And good day to you, Mr. Maunders. This is what comes of my trying to help you, observed the young man with a shrug i do what i can and you throw my philanthropy in my face no no towton's conscience smote him for really maunders had done him a distinct service and also he had announced that ida had refused him which was excellent news i thank you for what you have told me it is probable that i shall go down to gerby hall at the end of the week maunders nodded i may meet you there he yawned and sauntered away with a bored air which was rather overdone As a rule, he was alert and full of life, so it looked as though this languor was assumed for some purpose, and not a good one, if the man's selfish nature was to be taken into account. It wanted three days to the weekend, so Towton really intended to take the northern journey. He had never trusted Miss Hest, and it was quite probable that as she had discouraged the wooing of both himself and Maunders, her intention was to secure the heiress for her too philanthropic brother of course if towton could prove to the twins that ida had no money it was possible that no further plans would be laid to entrap her money was what francis hest required for his lord of the manor schemes and money was what the sister desired to secure for him but considering that francis did not get on well with her brother and that they rarely met it was strange that she should be so anxious to serve him unless indeed the two had come to an agreement that if francis married the supposed heiress francis would share the income on the whole towton thought it would be just as well to go down to the grange for a week or so and pay a neighborly visit to gerby hall he would at least learn how much of maunder's tale was true and perhaps might induce ida to accept him since she had refused his handsome rival gad i'll go down on saturday decided the colonel and it happened that before saturday he received a letter which made him even more anxious to visit his family seat it came from ida and she pointedly asked him to come down and see her amongst other things she wrote that francis hest had gone away and that she had only seen him twice at Derby hall francis and her brother don't get on well together went on ida in her letter and are rarely together when he is in she is out and vice versa like the little old man and woman in the weather cottage i only saw francis for a few minutes each time and i don't like him much although he greatly resembles francis but he is more gloomy and quite a misanthrope nor do i like francis so much as i did as she seems inclined to take the upper hand with me and wants me to do exactly as she wishes lately she has been urging me to marry mr maunders and told me that he was coming down to stop for a time besides there is a housekeeper miss jewin who is a double-faced woman i am sure and looks quite dangerous she fell in ecstasies over a photograph of mr maunders which he gave frances and told me presumptuously that she thought we were made a handsome couple in fact i don't like this place at all and i wish you would come down and stand by me at this point the colonel laid down the letter to think apparently maunders was lying when he stated that he did not wish to marry miss dimsdale and that frances wished to secure the heiress for her brother he told one story and ida another and of the two towton preferred to believe that of the girl the letter went into general details about the beauty of the country and the dismal gloom of the hall Towton gathered indirectly that Miss Hest was keeping a close watch on Ida, and that the girl was beginning to resent this over-emphatic influence. In fact, throughout the letter there sounded a note of alarm as though Ida was both uncomfortable and uneasy. She had certainly asked Towton down to stand by her, and when she had finished the epistle he was quite decided about travelling by the Saturday train as he had arranged but the contradictory stories told by Ida and Maunders puzzled him greatly. More than ever he mistrusted Miss Hest, who seemed to be playing a deep game for the winning of Ida's fortune. But the colonel chuckled to think of her disappointment when she learned that Ida was not entitled to the money, always provided that Diabella had spoken the truth as two heads are better than one and as towton was working in consort with vernon he promptly sought out his friend and laid the letter before him also he detailed what had taken place in the tablinum of the athenian club between himself and maunders vernon heard the colonel's narrative with great attention then gave his opinion after some reflection there is some devilry under all this he said laying a finger on the letter and miss hess seems to be working in conjunction with maunders he says one thing and ida another so it is difficult to know exactly how matters stand i believe ida well on the whole so do i i think vernon paused then added abruptly i don't trust maunders you know neither do i in that case let us act exactly opposite to the way in which he suggests how do you mean questioned the colonel doubtfully maunders wants you to go to yorkshire as he is going himself he would naturally want a clear field, if indeed Miss Hest is supporting him in this design on Ida's fortune. Therefore, he has some reason, and you may be sure that it is a bad one, to get you down. I can look after myself, said Towton sturdily. Quite so, but we have to look after Ida. Don't go to Yorkshire. But Ida wants me to go. See how urgent her letter is? I understand. All the same, I think it wiser for you to remain until when until i can corner diabella replied vernon and ended the conversation End of chapter eleven read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california